This is tape number 12 of the series, The Destination of Faith, Heaven by Dr. Joel Hunter. Common Questions About Heaven, Part 1, will be the subject of this message. Dr. Hunter's scripture text is Matthew, chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, and from the New International Version, it reads as follows. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Or what man is there among you, when his son shall ask him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law of the prophets. And now, let's join in for praise and worship, followed by message number 12, Common Questions About Heaven, Part 1, in this series, The Destination of Faith, Heaven. Well, we are going to have uh, services that are a little bit different than for the next couple of weeks. Usually I try to take a passage of Scripture and and to develop that passage. Um, but things uh, can happen when uh, a preacher just kind of uh, sticks, to the, uh, sticks to what he's thinking about Scripture. Sometimes we can miss the point and not address some of the concerns that the congregation may have because preachers tend to get a lot of touch um, with reality um, uh, as it's lived out uh, in the everyday world. And so um, what we are doing for the next couple of weeks is answering some common questions or revealing some common assumptions about heaven. Those of you who, like me, are learning to surf the net, there's a little category in, in, uh, in uh, most of the, uh, uh, the screens that you pull up, and it's called FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions. And so for the next uh, couple of weeks, we're going to be addressing Frequently Asked Questions. Now, the, the worship team, <clears throat> never at a want for creativity, has decided to kind of pull us into this venue by uh, uh, showing a little video. Uh, Dennis Patrick and uh, Dan Hunting uh, went out and uh, uh, composed a little video that would, again, reveal some of these uh, questions about heaven and some of the common assumptions. Uh, and, and there's everything in this video from uh, very light to very serious, from uh, uh, very silly to very poignant uh, questions and sometimes they're juxtaposed right uh, together. But uh, let's just watch it for a moment and, uh, and then we'll read the scripture for the morning. <clears throat> oh, by the way, hey, give me some lights here. By the way, I want you to know that, uh, give you a little uh, detail on this. Um, we did not uh, interview anybody around here for this. Uh, we didn't want to embarrass anybody, and we wanted to make sure that it wasn't just church people that we were interviewing. So these people went over to Daytona Beach at spring break. <laughs> Tried to find people with clothes on, and they interviewed them. Okay. <laughs> Heaven? 
how many questions could there possibly be? Will I ever be able to meet God? Can anybody know if they're going to heaven? I have a dog named Belle, and I'm, I was wondering if she would be in heaven. Oh, not to worry, Charlie. You'll go to heaven. All dogs go to heaven because unlike people, dogs are naturally good and loyal and kind. Huh. That's true. I wonder if there'll be chocolate chip cookies in heaven. You know, it really breaks my heart to hear about a child dying or all the abortions that go on. I was just wondering, when they get to heaven, are they still going to be children? One question that I've always wondered about was, if you're going to know the people that you know on earth in heaven. I wonder if there is even a heaven. Where do you come from? Heaven? Are there angels really in heaven? Well, who are you then? Clowns out, buddy. A.S. 2. A.S. 2. What, what, what's that? A.S. 2. Angel, second class. I have this image of heaven that's painted in my head, and it's the big white fluffy clouds and the pearly gates, and I was just wondering if that's really what heaven's going to be like when I get there. I was just wondering if I would know my family members in heaven. When I eat dinner with my family, we sit around the table and we talk and stuff, and there's a song that says um, he calls us to his banqueting table. And I was just wondering if in heaven we're going to have the opportunity to sit around the table and talk to God like I do here with my family. Hope so. How do we know it even exists? Okay, I want to know if when I get to heaven I'll know my son and if he'll know me because I love him. I'm a big Florida fan. I wonder, if, I wonder if there's gators up in heaven. Is heaven just a bunch of clouds? If there's a heaven, where is it? We didn't have electricity. Cold water, bare feet. Sounds wonderful. It was hell on earth. I loved it. I was wondering if there was any race difference, religion difference, or sex difference in heaven. If there's only one God, is there going to be Buddha and all these other religious gods in heaven also? Beautiful hair is really important to me, so I'm wondering, are there going to be any bad hair days in heaven? What do you think? Aren't I having a good hair day? Be brutal, Mama. I was just wondering if you have to go to church to go to heaven. Will there be beautiful women in heaven? Whoa! I wonder if heaven will be a giant party, or I'm going insane here. All these people do is work and pray, work and pray, that's all they do. I just wonder if I'll ever see my grandmother in heaven. Can anyone lead a good enough life to get into heaven? That's enough questions for any preacher to handle. Take it away, Joel. Well, if you have your scriptures with you, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 7, and this is going to be our text for the next couple of weeks, because it, it says something, uh, a few things that are very important for our consideration. If you will begin reading with me at verse 7, this is Jesus talking, and he says, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. To you. Now, these are present imperative verb tenses and moods. And what that means is keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking until. And what I want you to get from this is that, that Scripture uh, commands us to ask questions. And by the way, if you have questions that you want to get answered about heaven, I, I, we, we of course can't address all of them. But why don't you write it down, put it in the offering box, and maybe we can address it next week. Or I'll, I'll try to get it to as many as I can next week. Um, but, but what I'm trying to, to communicate here is Jesus is, is telling you to ask. He wants you to investigate. He wants you to wonder and to pursue. Now, Jesus also knows that the details of heaven cannot be fully revealed because we could not comprehend them. It's a, it's a totally different realm 
As a matter of fact, he said while he was down here, I, I, there was more to tell you, but I, I couldn't tell you because you weren't prepared. You could not comprehend it. And so, um, um, what do you do if you don't get all of your questions answered, all of the details? Well, these next few verses tell us that you trust in the character of God. Read with me. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it shall be opened. What man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So even if you can't get all of your details answered, it's always the bottom line that we must trust in the goodness and the character of God in order to provide what is best for his children. And he will do that. He wants to do that. And then there is this little verse 12 that seems kind of like, a, like an appendage. Uh, it seems not to be to the point, but I will tell you later on that it's very much to the point. It says this, Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. For this is the law and the prophets. It talks about getting outside of yourself into someone else's life. Okay, now let's, let's just start with a very basic... I, I am not... Uh, always aware that there are people who even have questions whether heaven exists, but there are, I suspect. There are many people uh, who have questions that heaven exists. How can we know there is a heaven? Well, I don't know if you remember the the sermon on uh, epistemology that I preached a few months ago, but you know that there's a heaven the same way that a Christian knows anything else, by faith. You see, Spiritual truth is not something that you can come to by logic and reason alone. And faith is a gift that is given to us by God. And so you will know that there is a heaven as you have faith to know there is a heaven. And faith is not knowing in your head. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 11, the most basic of all faith passages, says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of things hoped for. That's not a logical journey. And the conviction of things not seen. So Christians know that they know because God has let them believe. Now, even if you were not a person of faith, you would probably hope that there was a heaven. Karl Barth once said this, To perceive of the vanity of life is to perceive of its relative potentiality. And what that means is this. As you become more and more dissatisfied and more and more cognizant of the emptiness of this life, you naturally begin to wonder if there's not something else. Everyone does that. All logical people. To C.S. Lewis, this was the argument from hunger. Where there is hunger, there must be an answer. Ask yourself this question. If this is the only reality there is, and this is the only reality you've known, why is it that you keep thinking there must be something more? 
Where does that image of something more come from? Well, it's been given to us by God because indeed there is something more. There is something higher. So the very simple answer to how do I know that there's a heaven is through faith. Like all other spiritual truth. And faith is a gift from God. Now, secondly, it says, or, or people ask, and, 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 and we're kind of going from the light to the heavy here. All right, um, I consider this light. To some of you, this is very important. Uh, but I always get asked this question, especially by parents who's had children whose pet has just died. We saw in the film that the girl wanted to know if her dog would be in heaven. Well, before I become very unpopular, um, let me say that the Bible is not definitive on this. Um, you know, there's a few passages about the millennium that talk about, you know, the lion shall lay down with the lamb and so on and so forth. And, um, but... but You've got to realize we live in a day where the line, the distinct line that God drew between the rest of creation and, and, and uh, humanity is becoming erased by uh, the philosophy and theology of evolution and also by living in the 90s where we count the, the earth as our mother and the, the creatures as our brothers and sisters and we want to be very much into... Uh, ecology, and so on and so forth. So it's very understandable that people would have even more of a confusion about this matter, of about the distinction between animals and people. But if you look in Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 through 26, you will see there is a great distinction. Let me read that to you. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now I want you to see that God has categorized all of these things and counted them good. Animals are good. God must love animals or... We wouldn't uh, have them here. So, animals are good. But I want you to see the distinct line drawn between that and the rest of his creation, which is us. Look at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image. He's talking about the Godhead there. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them, that is man, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over everything creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There is a tremendous distinction and a theological necessity that if he created us for himself, we will be like him and we will live with him. There is not that same theological necessity for animals. Now, you've got to understand that people do theology many times by feeling. There was an old joke when I first went into the, to the uh, ministry that, uh, uh, that tells about uh, so the characters uh, of some, uh, some preachers and, and most of our temptation. It was about uh, a man whose uh, dog had died, and he was very close to his dog. So he went to the preacher down the, down the, the uh, street, had never been to his church, but went, went to him and said, uh, Pastor, I want you to do a funeral for my dog. I was very, very close to my dog, and I want you to do a funeral for my dog. Well, this happened to be a very uh, proper and formal Presbyterian minister. And 
and uh, he he demurred. He said, I, "I just don't know if I can do that." You know, that implies that the that the dog has a soul, and 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 I, just, I, I don't, and I don't think the scripture reflects that. And I I just I just don't know that I I can do that. And and the man said, "Well, I was I was thinking about offering a five thousand dollar honorarium." And the minister said, "Well, why don't you tell me it was a Presbyterian dog?" You know. <laughs> well, we got to realize that. There are certain temptations because of our feelings to slant our theology in that favor. And of course, people who are close to their pets want to know that they go to heaven. And, and, and they very well might. You know, God could bless us with animals in heaven. It just doesn't say anything about that in here. Uh, by the same token, uh, from my pet experience, there are animals from hell. <laughs> you know... I see just as much potential on the other side, you know. I can see somebody's punishment, you know, having to take a dog out six times a night living in hell, you know. And you know there are no fire hydrants down there. Think about it. Think about that. There are no fire hydrants in hell. So, Talk about exercising futility. But anyhow, you know, I, the point is that we've got to watch how we do theology because it cannot be based on, upon our desires. It has to be based upon Scripture. Now, this is, uh, in progressing down the line of poignancy, there are, there are people who want to know um, if there will be progress in heaven, if there will be change in heaven. If heaven is perfect, does that not necessarily mean that there will be no change? And if there is no change, if there's no improvement in heaven, then doesn't that mean that heaven will be static and boring? Um, I think it was uh, the uh, famous or infamous Ted Turner who said, I don't want to go to heaven because if heaven is perfect, that means you can't improve it. I would rather go to hell where I could make great improvements. I will resist the temptation. Um, now, let me tell you where people get the idea that, that, uh, that heaven may be just a, a perfect place and that, and that there will be no growth uh, uh, intellectual or otherwise there. If you will turn uh, with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and read that passage with me. It talks about when the perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away. In verse 8 it says, If there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. And if there are tongues, they will cease. And if there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... But then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. Now, does this mean when we get to heaven, we were, we're going to know why God uh, has done the things he's done and why the world is arranged as it is, and we will have a broad knowledge of how the world is? And the answer is, yes, I believe it does. I believe it does. And, and to the question, will we know each other in heaven? You bet we'll know each other. I've said this before. We'll not only know each other, we will have a closer relationship with each other than the best marriages down here on earth. We're going to be family in heaven. So there is every indication that we will have those kind, that kind of knowledge. But, listen to this now, 
Does perfection or entire sanctification necessarily preclude change? I don't think it does. One of my favorite, favorite theologians is Abraham Kuyper. And he wrote this. Entire sanctification does not equal divinity. In other words, even though we are entirely sanctified and holy and set apart for the worship of God, it doesn't mean that we will have the same uh, nature as God and the same um, 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 capacity, the same omniscience as God. Can you imagine that you, even in heaven, would know God thoroughly and completely so that you could not learn anything else about Him? Do you know what that would mean? That would mean that you had a capacity for understanding equal to God's. No, that's not going to happen. What is going to happen is that we will have a complete relationship, but, as Kuiper says, we will be able, grace by grace, to go deeper and deeper into that relationship and become more and more intimate with the true God we see changing our nature even as we are there to be like Christ. Let me give just an earthly example here. I have seen a very few marriages in my life where the couple was actually as excited and as eager to get to know one another 50 years into that marriage as they were the first year into that marriage. You know why? Because people change and people grow and it doesn't and 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 you have as much potential as be, to become more intimate with a person after 50 years as you do after one year. Because you, there's still so much to know. Does, does that mean it's, it's, it's not a, uh, a good marriage to begin with? Does that mean that, that uh, um, you, you don't have a, a good, a perfect relationship? No, it just says that perfection doesn't preclude growing intimacy and growing knowledge about somebody. Some of you remember when you first met your spouses, how you just wanted the world to go away for a while. So you could just talk with one another, just be with one another. And then you remember the growth in intimacy that you had as you faced the challenges of life together. You know, you included all of the circumstances of life, and and this is what you did together. Those are two different circumstances, but you knew each other in a different way as you went through them. Well, I believe the same thing will happen. We will, we will have a personal contemplation of God, but we will see all that he has done in the world also, and it's a growing relationship with God. And I believe that, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. That's what this refers to. So this is one of the anchor, anchor chapters in all the Bible. And, and Paul writes here about God being so rich in mercy that he puts us with Christ, look at it, what it says, in order that in the ages to come, ages plural, in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's something to look forward to. I guarantee you, you will not be bored in heaven. Now, here's another question. And I want to kind of combine these. So those of you who got a sermon outline today, I won't get to all the questions today. I'll try to, to make a, a, a more succinct answer uh, to, to more of them next week because I'm not going to answer them and uh, uh, be able to answer them in the depth that, that I would like to 
it would take us three years to do this. So, so here's what we're going to do. Just for the last part of this, I want to summarize what is a very important message about heaven to us from Christ. And that is this. That it is possible to store up treasures in heaven. And let me link that to the concept of getting rewards in heaven. And let me link that to the concept of getting crowns in heaven. Because they're all of the same ilk, according uh, in, in my mind. And so, let me first of all give you not only the concept, but the command from Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verse 20. This is what it says. Again, this is an imperative mood. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. How do you do that? How do you do that? How do you prepare treasure in heaven? It also says in Revelation 22, verse 12, this is the last chapter of the Bible. Again, this is Jesus talking. He says, Behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. So therefore, we are judged and rewarded on the basis of our behavior or our deeds. What does that mean? And later on, it talks about crowns, people getting crowns for certain things. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It's very important to understand that this isn't accumulating meritorious uh, accounts where God owes us something. It's very clear in Luke chapter 7, verses 7 through 10, that we owe God everything. Jesus talks about the servant. And he says, look, if you have a servant in the field, and, and he's done his work all day, and he comes into the house, you don't say, well, you rest up, I'll serve you. No, he does his work in the house because that's what he owes his master. Just as we cannot earn our way to heaven, neither can we earn by strict accumulation of super meritorious deeds, the rewards that they're talking about in heaven. Because we already owe everything we can be or do to God. Well, then what can those rewards be? What can those treasures be? I believe that those treasures are about not what we have done, but what we have become. Not about what we do, but what, what we are. And I believe that we will have this capacity to look back on our life and be glad that we have done something in a certain way because it gives us greater capacity to do that in heaven. I believe uh, uh, John MacArthur is right on this. John MacArthur says, crowns are not something you wear on your head. Crowns in heaven are an increased capacity for service. They are not deeds to your account they are people that you have loved. Let me give you a scripture for that, as a matter of fact. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. Look what it says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. This is Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. Now, he, he, was, 
He was only with them for a few months. It's his second missionary journey. He was only with them for a few months. And look at what he writes to them. And look at to whom or with whom he identifies his crown. Look at this. For who, not what, who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? You see, this is about loving people. It's not about accumulating little things so that you can have... I've heard this. Uh, if I accumulate enough goods, I'll, uh, enough deeds, I'll have a bigger mansion in glory. You know? I'll have a real big house in glory. No, 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 no. You're talking earth talk there. This is flesh talk. That's not heaven talk. In the first place, in John 14, mansion is not a... Not the, I don't want to offend King James people, but mansion is not exactly the... the a, a, a whole picture of that. In Greek, that word is simply abode. It doesn't talk about this great white house with big pillars and all that. It's just abode. It's a, it used to mean a, a, a resting place on a journey. It's, 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 nondescript, it's a nondescript term. And so we, we don't know anything about our house or our room or whatever it is, you know. No, that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about something that develops in your life through your love of people and your being like Jesus because they know the other mentality. The other mentality is to, is to, is to glorify ourselves and count up, count up these things that in our, in our head we think are really something. But I want to tell you that kind of mentality is strictly of the earth. As a matter of fact, that kind of mentality is not only of sin, it's of sickness. Some of you know when I was working on my doctoral degree... I spent a year working as a chaplain in an insane asylum. Now, you talk about an interesting job. That was an interesting job. And I can remember walking into this place the first few weeks and being scared out of my mind. I mean, I tell you what, I was petrified. I'd watched every Alfred Hitchcock movie that was ever made, walked into this thing, was just scared, scared the bejeebers out of me to do this. And one day I was walking across the campus... And some woman just, I mean, verbally attacked me. And she came and she said, I, I know who you are. I know what... I've never seen this woman before in my life. I know what you've been saying about me. I will kill you. And I stood there and went, <laughs> Very brave, very therapeutic response, you know. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. She didn't know me. I had not been saying anything about her because I didn't know her. So she was not responding to me. She was responding to the voices in her head. She was trapped within herself. And that became my definition of insanity. Insanity is being trapped within yourself. Now, let me just venture this forth. You don't have to be confined to an institution to be of that ilk. As a matter of fact, that is the mentality of the world today. What's in this for me? My goals are for me. My concerns are about me. Why did Jesus attach that last little bit to trusting in the character of God that after, in, after we're in heaven, we will explore 
in an eternal, infinite way. Why did he say, and by the way, treat others as you would have them treat you? Why did he, why did he put that therefore there? Because between now and the time we get there, we are to come out of ourselves. We are not to be trapped within ourselves. No, we are to be like Jesus and we are to serve others and to love others. You know why? Because when we get there, those are the memories that we will look back at most fondly. That is our crown. People are our crown. People are our treasure. People are our reward. You know? I, I heard a story. This I didn't include this in the, in the other sermons, but, but I heard a story about, about uh, in the early days, the persecution of the church. And, and some people, uh, uh, there were rumors that the church had gold chalices and all of this kind of stuff. And, and this was way before the church was wealthy enough to, to do that. And so this, these government forces burst into the church, burst into this assembly of Christians. And they demanded the treasures that those Christians had. And the head of that assembly, very sincerely, turned around to the poverty-stricken people that they had been providing for. And he said, these are our treasures. That's what you're going to be glad of. Have you, are you like me? Do you, ever, do you ever drive down the street and you're just minding your own business? You're not thinking anything in, in, in particular. And Satan shoots one of those fiery darts into your head. I, I do this all the time. I'm driving down the street and every once in a while, something will pop into my head that I absolutely regret and feel awful about. A memory of something I've done in the past. And, I, and I just, it just literally makes me sick. I can't believe I did it. I, I feel awful about it. I, I wish I could take it back. Uh, and so on and so forth. I know I'm forgiven for it. I know God has put it as far as the east is from the west. I know all of that. But, but I'll have that little, you know, the adversary, the enemy will just... Put that thought in my head and try to get me start feeling bad about it, you know? And I, and I will for a second. I'll, I'll look back at my life and go, oh, what a horrible thing to do. What a horrible waste of my life and of that person's life or, or whatever. You know, what a horrible thing. I wish I hadn't done that. Do you know there's a counterpart to that? There's, there's a good counterpart to that. That, that living life down here, we will be able to look back at some of our experience, some of the ways we've loved one another, and say, oh man, I'm so glad I did that. What, what a great, what high, just, that just tickles me to think about that. You know? What a great use of my time. What, what a great, you know, showing of the eternal character of Christ. Oh, I'm just so glad I did that. Let me give you an example. Uh, not for me, and, and Becky it wants to shoot me for using this, but... But every once in a while we'll be driving and, she's, and she'll just have a grin on her face, you know. When, when these other negative thoughts hit me, I literally go like this. Mm. Like that. I mean, it just, it just hits me. And Beck will say, what's wrong? I'll say, nothing. <laughs> well, sometimes I'll look over her and she'll have a grin on her face. I'll say, what do you think about it? She said, you know, you know what I remember? This is fun. She said, I remember that time we were standing in LAX at Los Angeles Airport. We were going someplace. And we didn't have, you know, enough money. We knew we didn't have enough money. We had the ticket, but we, we knew after we got there, we wouldn't have, uh, we, we would just barely scrape by. And I, and I stood there like you all do and said, 
count up how much money we have. You know, I got I was all worried about how much money we had, so she counts it out and she said, Oh, it's seventy nine dollars and something. You know? And so, you know, I'm standing there all concerned, you know, trapped within myself and and uh and we hear we overhear this argument at the counter. There's this woman arguing and pleading with this guy at the counter. Well, of course, everybody in line immediately got silent. Because when there's a good argument going on, you want to overhear it, you know? Well, here we are like this, you know? She's pleading with this guy. She says, I have to get to him. And it was either her, her husband or her father was deathly ill and it was an emergency. And, 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 and she said, this is all the money I have. You said in, the, in your ad that it was, it was, you know, a ticket for this much. And, and, and the guy says, well, I know it said that, but it, it was talking about, you know, a round-trip ticket. You've got to have a round-trip ticket. That's just for one way. She says, I only need to go one way. She says, yeah, but you've got to buy the whole ticket. And she's just in despair. And she says, well, I haven't got any more money. She said, how much do I need? And the guy rings it up and says, well, $79 and something. <laughs> well, Becky, I mean, you've you got to know Becky for this. She's, she's just very bashful. She leaped those things. <laughs> just get out of the way, you know. Man, she's digging in her purse, you know. She puts it right in front of you. She goes, there you go, there you go. You know? And, the, and the, she was just startled. The woman was startled and says, write me out a ticket right now and hold that plane. The plane was about ready to take off, you know? And, and the guy gives her a ticket. She says, well, you know, give me your, give me your name and address. Becky said, get, get to the plane. So she does this hurdle. I, I will avoid the obvious illustration here. <laughs> uh, hurtling through the airport. But... Uh, but you know what? It was just a little instance of what Jesus would do in that situation. And it's just a little memory. You know, I believe that that's the, the, the rewards and the treasures and, and, and the crowns that we'll have in heaven. The things that we did like Jesus did. It's not something we wear. It's someone that we are because we've been like Someone we worship. Pray with me. God, teach us to live heaven on earth. Teach us we don't need to wait. To be suited, to be, to be molded toward the character of your Son. Teach us, Lord God, even when we don't know all the answers, that it is not efforts, it is not the accumulation of good deeds that will count. It is your transformation of our lives, of, of what Jesus can do in a heart to make us like himself. And so we would say, come Lord Jesus, increase our faith. Let us believe in God. Let us admit we need you. And Lord God, make us like your son, so that as we look back on our lives, we will be glad We lived the way we did. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.